I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus was identifying himself. And as you look at the behavior of Christ, you see that he, um, he lives out these I am statements. So it's very important for you to fill in the blank. I am what? So you may say, I am, I am stupid, or I am unworthy, or I am unlovable, or I am, I am not worth much. Uh, and these are descriptions of yourself. And those descriptions then uh, lock into your mind. That is, it sets the, um, it, it sets the tone of the, the, how your brain is thinking about yourself and how you see yourself when you look in the mirror. And so you're going to live that out because your mind always, your life always moves in the direction of your most dominant thinking. And so if these are the thoughts you have about yourself, you don't have them just once a day. You have them hundreds of times a day and thousands of times during the week. And so it governs and directs your, your behavior. So what Jesus wants to do is that he wants the I am statements that is used of him to help define us so that we see ourselves like God sees us. We see ourselves as Jesus sees us, not what other people say about you, not what you may say about yourself. God wants you to know that he, he is deeply interested and wants to be directly involved in your life and in uh, changing your thought patterns of how you see yourself and then how, as a result of that, you begin to live differently. And so we began in John chapter 10 looking at two of the I am statements that are both in this chapter. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And the bottom line last week as we looked at the first part of this message is that simply this. Sheep need a shepherd and we need a savior. Right? We need a shepherd, we need a savior, and that savior, that shepherd that we so desperately need, as we'll bear this out today, is, is the Lord Jesus. He is, he is our good shepherd. So John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So in other words, if this shepherd hires somebody to watch his sheep and the predators come after the sheep, he's abandoning them, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking care of myself, forget about the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this, uh, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must Bring them also. So what he's talking about here is that, remember, Jesus came to the house of Israel first. But later, the gospel would be taken to the Gentiles. And that's what he's referring to, that the gospel would go to the Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish. And so he says, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. In other words, one church. Jesus is what? He's the head. He's the shepherd of the church. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it, up, takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the father. And so as we looked at sheep last week, we, we noted that sheep, the reason they need a shepherd is because uh, they are defenseless against their natural known predators. They can't survive on their own out in the wild. They need someone to care for them. Sheep are, you know, easily lost. Uh, they're defenseless. They're, they're extremely stubborn at times. Um, there are a lot of, you know, qualities about sheep that say and scream, you know, you need a shepherd. 
Well, it's no, uh, I mean, this is why the Bible likens us as sheep who need a shepherd, because we have the same kind of qualities. Now, it does not to mean that sheep don't have some good qualities, because they do. In fact, um, I met a man who's named Ray Carmen several years ago. He is an actual shepherd here in the United States. And if you go on Facebook and look him up, he, does, um, he posts. And as a shepherd, he, he brings spiritual analogy between the sheep and the shepherd and, and our everyday lives. And he said that when you know, sheep love to play, they love to rough house, uh, especially lambs. They'll do that for hours. And when sheep, when the conditions are right and sheep fall asleep... They fall in such a deep sleep, he said, you would think they were dead. I mean, it's just like there's no movement, no nothing. It's just, and so the only way a sheep can get to that point where they're that um, seemingly that safe, that content to go into that deep sleep is that they have a shepherd who cares for them. They have a shepherd who's looking out for them, who's protecting them, who's making sure that their every need is met. So therefore, this is exactly what Jesus wants to do for us. So what does the good shepherd do? He takes them into the pasture. He waters them. He feeds them. He cares for them. He provides security for them. And he he wars against their predators. And so the shepherd comes into our lives, Jesus, and he loves us. He cares about us. He wants to provide security. He wants to provide for our every need. And um, so he is generous. He's gracious. He's good. And so in this passage, we noted last week, the good shepherd comes to the sheep, right? So um, when the shepherd comes to the sheep pen and say there's um, multiple shepherds who have multiple sheep in the same pen, Jesus described that the shepherd will come. He will call out his sheep. They will hear his voice. They know his voice. They would not respond to the voice of a stranger. But they, so they come out and they follow the shepherd. This is exactly what Jesus came into the world to do. Jesus came into the world to call us out of darkness into the light. Jesus called us out of the kingdom of Satan to guide and direct us and lead us into the kingdom of of his, his own making, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. So Colossians 1 says that when God calls us, He's, he's making this transfer uh, of kingdoms, and so he desires to lead our lives so that we can experience life to the fullest. Jesus said, the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it in abundance or to the fullness of life. That's what our shepherd wants to do for us and why he calls us out of darkness into light. The good shepherd calls the sheep. All right? the Holy, unless the Spirit calls you into a relationship with this shepherd, you would never come. And so the only way you hear the call of the shepherd is that the Spirit of God enables you to hear that call and you respond. Now remember that in this day and time, as with many shepherds, they did not um, drive their sheep, they led their sheep. The shepherd would be in front of the sheep, the sheep would follow. And so this is Jesus' call to us. He calls us to follow him, to follow him. And uh, to follow Jesus means... You have to make a decision. God won't drive you into that relationship. He won't make you enter into that relationship. God has given every single one of us a free will. All right, so God issues the call. We respond to the call that the Holy Spirit's making to enter into a relationship with this shepherd of ours, which then transacts into this leaving the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, and therefore 
we choose then by an act of our will to follow him. And we talked extensively what it means to actually follow Jesus. And so one of the things about sheep due to their stubbornness is that they oftentimes would, you know, they would wander away from their shepherd, the safety and security of their shepherd. And uh, that was very dangerous because uh, they have no defense against their natural predators. So that's what Satan seeks to do with us, right? We say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. And sure enough, he comes along and he tries to separate us from the, pa- from the flock, from the pack, from the church, from your small group, from your friends, to get you out on, on your own, by yourself. And there you become very vulnerable to his attack and to his, um, his ability to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's why Proverbs says things like, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge. Acknowledge who? You want to acknowledge your shepherd because he will make your paths straight. He will set you on the proper paths that lead to the proper destination. It's easy for us because our hearts are so easily deceived to get off the path that's leading to the destination your shepherd's trying to take you to. He wants you to have the fullness of life, which means God really wants the best for you. He wants you to experience this life to the fullest with the least amount of wear and tear. Now, there's always going to be some wear and tear in life because none of us are going to skate through life without having some difficulties and some problems and some deep valleys to travel through. But if we keep our eyes on the shepherd, he keeps us on the path that enables us to navigate through those periods in our lives so that we can experience the blessing of God at the end of that that pathway. Here's the third one, and as the shepherd cares for his sheep, and which is where we're going to kind of drop in today. So I want you to go to Psalm 23, because in Psalm 23, um, David, who was a king over Israel for many, many years, one of the most prosperous kings, he led Israel into the golden age, and uh, David was a shepherd. He was a shepherd for, um, you know, many, many years, and so as David began to think back over his life, he began to understand the relationship between his God and, and the sheep, right? And so David puts himself in this, this psalm as the sheep, not the shepherd. He's not the shepherd in this psalm. He's one of the sheep. Now, David could have called God a lot of things. This, this psalm starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. He could have said, the Lord is my king. The Lord is my ruler. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my protector. Why does he start out with the Lord is my shepherd? Because there was a deep, intimate relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. He knew that his sheep was, were absolutely dependent upon him for their livelihood and for their protection and for their security. And so he's, he's describing this deep-seated dependence that we have upon our shepherd. Peter put it this way in the New Testament, that the Lord has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some translations say, I have everything I need. And so what David does in the next five verses is to show you the needs that your shepherd desires to meet in your life. And all five of these needs, whatever your need is in life, will fit under one of these five categories. And so God is so intimate and so desiring through his goodness and graciousness to lead us and to call us out and and to lead us in the pathways that lead to the destinations that he has for us. So let's break down this first verse for just a moment. 
If you're going to memorize scripture, this is the one psalm you ought to memorize. All right, this, this psalm says everything to us as sheep being led by our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you notice it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And in your English translation, the word Lord is in capital letters. All right, so that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. But now in original Hebrew, they did not use vowels um, and only consonants. And so that name was so revered of God that people refused to, to say it. Even if someone, if a rabbi uh, was going to write that name, he would go through a ceremonial cleansing, take a brand new pen, brand new ink, write the name, and then go back through another ceremonial cleansing before he started writing again. And so this name of God means that he's God Almighty. It's the name that God gave to Moses when Moses met God at the burning bush. Moses says, who am I going to, tell, is, who am I going to say that sent me? And he says, I am who I am. And that means that God Almighty, I'm unchanging, I'm unchangeable, I'm self-existing, I'm self-sustaining, uh, I need nothing outside of myself. And so Jesus stepped into this shepherding role. Um, the Hebrews, because the name was so sacred, began to substitute another name. It's the name Adonai. Adonai means the Lord God Almighty. So in your English translation, when you see the word Lord, it's capital L, but a small case O-R-D, that's the names that's being used. It's all caps, it's Yahweh. If it's lower caps, it's Adonai. And so uh, German theologians took the word Adonai and were playing with the consonants and the vowels, and they came up with the word Jehovah. So you see this on our walls, Jehovah. Again, it's referring to the Lord God, the, the God of Israel, the God who is I am. And, um, and so here we have Jehovah Rohi, which means the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so Jesus uses this I am of himself because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And he who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father because the Father and I are one. So when Jesus uses this I am statement, he's the shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the visible image of God. He's relating God to us as our shepherd, as our covenant-keeping God who is Lord over all. The Lord, that he says, is. Now you say, what's the big deal about the is? The is is a being verb. It's present tense. The, the, notice, it doesn't say the Lord was my shepherd or will be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Present tense, here, now. In other words, our shepherd isn't a promise. A promise is a statement of declaration that God makes to you about something in the future. What the psalmist wants you to see is that Jesus, our shepherd, is not a promise to claim for the future, but he can be the reality of your experience in the here and now. He is the accessible shepherd of God who's accessible every day, every hour, at every moment. Not something in the future, but in the here and now. So all of these needs that the psalmist is going to talk about, Jesus wants to meet in the here and now. It's not like, oh, I just kind of live my life, get through the best I can, because when I get to heaven, then all these needs will be met. No, 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 no. David is saying that your shepherd wants to meet these needs in the here and now, right now, in this moment, this time, this place. And you notice he says, he is my shepherd, my personal shepherd. 
Who is your shepherd? Who is shepherding your life? Because if you're allowing the wrong shepherd to shepherd your life, you will always be left in want. That's how you know you're really following Jesus. Because when Jesus is my shepherd, I have everything I need. I shall not be in want. Doesn't mean he'll give you everything you want. It just means he gives you everything you need in these five basic areas of life. So here's the first one. He provides for our spiritual needs. He always makes provision for our spiritual needs. Beginning in verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now here's something about sheep. They cannot lie down and rest if they feel anxious, if they feel insecure, or if they feel frightened. They just won't do it. The conditions have to be right. They lie down when they feel secure, when they feel content, and when they feel at peace. It's kind of like you at night, right? If you lay down in your bed and your mind is filled and your heart's filled with anxious thoughts, something fearful is troubling your mind, you can't sleep either. You may lay down, but you're probably back up multiple times throughout the night. You're rolling, you're tossing, you're turning, because the conditions are not right in order for you to experience deep, contented sleep. And so this is what the shepherd is going to provide for his sheep, a place of security, a place of contentness, a place of, of peace. Now, we tend naturally towards what the Bible calls being discontent or covetousness. And covetousness simply means we have a hard time relaxing because we never feel like we have everything we want. We are just so prone as sheep to always be searching, always be running after something. Rather than being um, prone to, to want what we have, we're prone to want what we don't have, and we feel like we can never be completely content until I find that next thing I think i got to have in order to have contentment in my life. And we're so often striving for something more and something else, and so we are rarely content because in our world of greed, people measure success by how much you have accumulated. You know, the, the guy that dies with the most toys wins. We've heard that motto before. Christians measure it by appreciation. Paul said in the New Testament, um, I learned to be content whether I had a lot or I had nothing. Now, there are seasons in your life, those of you who are married as married couples, probably when you first got married, you had little, right? You're living on love. You didn't have much. Marl and I, we didn't have a lot. And, and then when God called me to could go into ministry and go to school. We packed up everything we owned in the back of my pickup truck, went off to college, and, uh, you know, it was a furnished apartment that we were at with other students who were married there. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. We're paying for school, and we're going, both of us are in school, and we're trying to work jobs, 
And so when it came Thanksgiving, you know, we didn't, have, we didn't have the money to go home, so I worked for a butcher, so, you know, he gave us a turkey, and somebody else worked somewhere else, and, and one of them worked, at, one girl worked at uh, Ponderosa, so they let her cook the turkey there, and so we just took a little bit, the meager things that we had, and we spread out our Thanksgiving uh, dinner, and there was, you know, four couples, and we had one of the best Thanksgivings we've ever had, and we had nothing. But we were content. Didn't mean that you want to stay there all of your life. But as you grow through seasons of life, all kinds of things change. And so being content means I'm not looking for something to fill a void in my life. I'm not fantasizing that one more possession, one more trip, one more thrill is somehow going to meet this void that is deep down inside of my heart. I just learned to be content wherever my shepherd has me. And so the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So if you're lying down in green pastures, it means, as a sheep, that you have grazed until your stomach was full, and now you're laying down to ruminate on what you've eaten. You know, like chewing your cud, just like a cow. They have multiple chambers in their stomach, and so they lay down because they're full. They're satisfied. Do you get what the spiritual meaning here? The Bible says that people spend their entire lives trying to fill the void in their hearts, in their spirit, with one thing after another they're chasing after, only to find out like Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes as he tried to fill that void with everything under the sun that this world had to offer. And at the end of his life, he said, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. Nothing could fill the void. Jesus came into the world to fill that void in you to bring ultimate satisfaction in your life so that no matter if you have much or you have little, you're still satisfied in your shepherd because he's meeting the spiritual needs of your life. And so when a sheep lay down and they have grazed to their fill and they're chewing on their cud, it's the Bible's picture of meditation. Meditation means you're ruminating. You're just like, you, you've memorized a verse, you've studied a verse, and you just keep chewing on it and chewing on it because you're extracting all the nutrients out of that which you have fed upon so that God can take those nutrients and feed your spiritual life with things that no one else or anything else could possibly do that. And as a result of that, you gain strength from its nutrition you get fresh insights, and you're just closer with the Lord, and you're just walking with him. I mean, sometimes I gain some of my greatest nutrition, not because I'm sitting there studying the Bible that day, but once I've closed my Bible and I'm just thinking about throughout the course of the day what God's showing me or trying to teach me, and my greatest thoughts come uh, either when I'm cutting grass, which I hate to do, or when I'm, I'm driving, so I keep a little recorder in my car that I can just pull it out and talk into. I keep a pad in my back pocket every time I'm cutting grass because then I'll just stop and write it down. Or sometimes it's in the middle of the night. You know, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, just speak to me throughout the night on this passage I'm talking. You know, I've read, I'm studying, and I just, maybe I don't understand it all. And, and so he gives me thoughts in the night, and I, I get up and I write down on the pad because if I say, well, I'll wait till the morning, more than likely you will forget it. But finding time to ruminate is a challenge in our age, right? We are in an era of iPhones, 
you know, earbuds, iPods, loudspeakers. But here's what I note about my electronic devices. Every single one of them has an off button. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. When you meditate on God's word, your thoughts begin to improve. Your outlook on life will begin to improve. You're invigorated by the presence of God, and you will be a much more positive and less anxiety-filled individual. So graze upon the word. Ruminate on it. Study it. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Now, for sheep, they would never go near rushing water. It's fearful to them. And if they get in, stumble into rushing water, like a cotton ball, like you plunge it in the sink, right? So they're going to float down the river and they're going to die. So the, the responsibility of the shepherd was to, to bring it, you know, if there's a rushing water, is that he would like carve out a place or find a spot, build rocks around it so he could quiet the waters so the sheep feel safe in drinking. The other activity of sheep is if they're left on their own, they'll drink out of any watering hole, even not realizing it may be filled with parasites or poison or anything else that's going to be detrimental to their health. And so the shepherd makes sure that they find clear water, pure water, water that is helpful for them. And so, um, you know, this is what the shepherd does for us. He's always looking out, watching over us, because he knows what good and pure water does for us. Sometimes we are too willing to drink from things that we should not be drinking from. We're filling our hearts, we're filling our minds with all kinds of stuff off of social media and you know, Netflix and whatever else, you know, media. And I'm not against media, I'm not against TV, I'm not against any of those things, but I'm telling you what, if you're constantly filling your mind with garbage and you think that you're going to have purity of life and pure thoughts and a life that's moving in the direction God wants it to move, never going to happen. I turned on a movie the other night on Netflix uh, that someone recommended to me uh, because I, I, a particular actor I like, and within 15, well, I mean 15 minutes, probably within the first 10 minutes, the F-bomb was dropped about 20 times. I said, that's it. Why, why would I sit there for the next two hours and fill my mind with this kind of stuff. I'm drinking from a, a poisoned well. I, I'm not eating from the green pastures. And so Jesus says, I am the living water, right? Out of me flows rivers of living water. And so Jesus wants to take us to draw us from the, we, the well of Christ, our good shepherd, so that the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God, begins saturating it into our hearts, our soul, our mind, every spiritual need and thought that we need to have in order to walk the path that God wants us to walk that gives us the most abundant life possible in this world in which we live. And it says, the result of that is, he restores my soul. That's present tense, which means immediately. And what can happen is that sheep, because the, the way they are built, their legs are short, they have big torsos, especially a, a ewe that's carrying a lamb, can oftentimes lay down in a pasture, but if, if she lays down in uneven ground, she can't get back up. And she may lay there for hours, which is, which is um, really detrimental to the safety of the sheep, because now she's susceptible to a predator, and um, 
you know, can't get back up, would lay there and eventually die. So what would the shepherd do? This is a sheep that was called cast. And so the shepherd would come to this cast sheep and uh, would not immediately set it on its feet because now the blood has removed from the extremities and, and because they are a, a ruminatory kind of mammal with chambered stomachs is that the gas would build up and begin to blow it out. And so the shepherd would literally get down and begin massaging the legs and massaging the belly and massaging the, 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 lamp, uh, the, the sheep until eventually he would put it back up on its feet. He would restore it to a position that would enable the lamb to function once again. See, some of you may have come in here today and your, your heart is filled with anxiety and you're downcast. If there's ever a time that our society, our country is filled with anxiety, it's now with coronavirus hitting the market, right? So people are filled with anxiety, they're filled with fear, and fear and anxiety is now driving people in very unhealthy ways. And so the shepherd, when he, he, you know, when you're taking in the word and the spirit's taking the word and, and massaging us and, and you're downcast and you're discouraged or maybe you're struggling with depression or disillusionment, um, man, you don't have your legs under you. And so the shepherd kind of scoops you up and takes the word and begins massaging your soul and massaging your spirit so that he can set you upright so that you don't have to cave into the depression and fear and anxiety and the worries and all of those things that can can keep us cast, that can keep us, as the Bible describes it, downcast, because now we're not functioning properly anymore. We're not thinking straight. We're driven by our emotions, and when you're driven by your emotions and you're trying to make decisions that are emotionally driven, you do not make very wise decisions. Worst time to make decisions that are life-changing decisions in particular is when you are downcast. And so Jesus wants to pick you back up. He's your shepherd. He wants to bring into your... Here's what the Bible says, that your shepherd can so work in your spirit that he can take even the most frightful times regardless of what's going on around you, and he can give you the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding that can guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Even though my life may be falling apart, even though things around me may be falling apart, doesn't mean that I have to follow apart, fall apart. All right, here's the second one. Uh, he provides for our directional needs. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What sheep will do, and because they're not very smart and they're creatures of habit, is that wherever they have been, that's where they continue to want to go. So if they're left on their own, they will literally mow down a pasture, uh, roots and all. They'll ruin the land, and they'll just stay in that pasture because that's what's familiar to them. They won't move on to the greener pastures unless there's a shepherd leading them. And obviously, the end result of that is it can cause their ultimate death. And so the shepherd always is looking for the greener pastures, the new pastures, the fresh pastures in which he can continue to establish healthy sheep. And so again, the shepherd is directing the sheep. They're following him. He's leading them. When I was in China several years ago, I was there recently, uh, several years ago, and I was climbing up the Great Wall of China and making my way up, and I'm about two hours into this, and I look over the wall, and here comes a shepherd with about 30 sheep following him. 
As my wife reminded me, these shepherds, when they lead their sheep, they zigzag. There's a reason why they do that. And so he's zigzagging back and forth up this mountain as these sheep are following. And so they are, they are following why? Because he's giving them direction. Where is he taking them? He's taking them to greener pastures. He's taking them to quiet waters. He's taking them to places that will be best for them. The definition of insanity is you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, right? We've all heard that. If you're in a rut today, uh, then it's probably because you need to learn how to hear the voice of your shepherd because Jesus never leads us into ruts. He says he guides us in the paths of, of righteousness, right? He wants you to take you into the right paths that lead you to the best destination possible. That's why the Bible says that his mercies are new Every single day. So without Jesus, we are vulnerable to the lies of our enemy. Who is our enemy? Well, Satan is our enemy, right? He only speaks in lies. Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of John that he is the father of lies, and that's, all the way that he, that's the only way that he speaks. So if my mind, my thought patterns are built upon lies, for example, the lies you believe you're about yourself, like you're unworthy and you're unlovable and, and you're stupid and you're fat and you're ugly and all these negative things are rolling around in your mind, those are not words or statements from your shepherd. That is not the way God sees you. Those are not the thought patterns he wants you to have. Because again, your life always moves in the direction of your most dominant thoughts that you're having. And so he wants to redirect our thinking. And so he comes and he, he wants to guide us and walk us, but we have to recognize his voice. And so last week we talked about how God speaks to us. The primary way is through his word or from his spirit to our spirit circumstances, through other people at times. Um, there are a lot of different ways that God speaks. But here's what Jesus said in John 10. My sheep hear me and they know my voice. We'll say, but I'm not sure if I know God's voice. If you don't know his voice, it's for one of two reasons. You know, if you're in a crowded room, like my wife and I went to a, a birthday party last night for somebody who just turned 60, when a, a, a woman we met um, couple years ago, and, and so we're in this uh, upstairs, it's in Lancaster downtown, and we're in this, this like ballroom, party room, and so they've got music going on because of the DJ, and, and as you know, I described my hearing before, if I'm in a crowded room and I've got background noise, my ears pick that up, it's hard for me to pick up conversations, but if my wife were to walk in the doorway behind me and say my name, see, I, I can hear all the voices, but if she said my name, I would immediately know it's her. Why? Because we spent so much time together, right? We've spent the last 42 years together. Or is it 43? I don't remember. So somewhere in there. Uh, so, so we, we you know, her, her voice is so familiar to me. Well, the point is this. If you cannot recognize the voice of your good shepherd, maybe either you don't know him or you've just not spent enough time listening to his voice. God wants to speak. If God called you out of darkness into light, that means you've heard the voice of the Spirit, right? He called you into that relationship with Jesus because, again, the Bible says unless he calls you, you would have never come. Sheep left unto themselves are stubborn. They just won't do that. 
So the good shepherd calls you by name because he's personal and he is relational. So if you have a difficult decision to make, right, if you have a difficult decision, like should I take this job in another city, should I stay here, should I keep dating this person, should I not date them, should I, uh, you know, have more kids, not have more kids, when you have a decision to make, just tell God. And you may just say something, you know, like, God, um, Jesus, you are my good shepherd. You are my guide. I really want to hear from you, and I want to follow you. So if you will show me what I should do, I will follow you. Now, you had better mean that. Because here's often what we do. We say, God, I want to hear from you. I mean, I want to follow you. And then God speaks, and then we're like, eh, I'm not sure about that. You got to be willing to follow the direction and not act like Jonah, who God told him his specific direction he was supposed to go, and he said, nope, not doing it, headed in the opposite direction. You don't want to be like Moses. God spoke to Moses and said, here's what I want you to do. And Moses said, nope, no, you got the wrong person. I stutter. Uh, here's a million reasons why you got the wrong person. You want to be like Isaiah. He said, here am I, God, send me. So I'm telling you, the shepherd wants to speak. He wants you to know the directions he wants to give you, but you have to be willing to follow it, and you need to lay that out up front. God, no matter what you say, I'm choosing to follow because I know you're my shepherd and you're setting my feet on the best path that leads to the best destination for my life for here and now. The next one, he provides for our emotional needs. He goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. And so sheep at during times, various times of the year in uh, the land of Palestine, uh, you know, they had to be moved from uh, pastures uh, all over, all across the, the, the country, and therefore they sometimes had to go through deep valleys, which were called uh, wadis, and they would lead them through these dark valleys. Now notice this, he's not leading you into a cave, he's not leading, leaving, leading you into a dead-end street, it's a valley, which means it's open-ended on each side. It's just simply a season in life that's going to be kind of dark. That's going to be kind of fearful to you at first, but you got to keep your eyes on the shepherd because he's going to lead you through the valley. He didn't say he stopped in the valley, camped out in the valley, stayed in the valley forever. He's leading you through the valley, and so it's very essential you keep your eyes on the shepherd. Now, here's why it's important for us in the here and now. Because we could say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of coronavirus, I will fear no evil. Coronavirus. These events have caused people inordinate amounts of fear and anxiety that's creating just mass mayhem in our country. Who in the world ever thought that if you have a respiratory disease that there would be such a run on toilet paper? I don't get it. I don't understand it. But um, if you're out, let me know. We'll, we'll get you some, supply you some. People are absolutely freaking out and worried and scared. We're doing, you know, everything we, we can here at our church to make sure that, you know, we, we uh, ensure that you can be healthy. Uh, like we said on the one call, we're bleaching the children's wing twice a day, every single day of the week. You know, our cleaning people are disinfecting around here. I'm not telling you to be stupid and not heed some of the things that you ought to be doing, like washing your hands. Who knew people didn't wash their hands until the coronavirus came wrong? Uh, and disinfecting, those are smart things to do. But I, I will say, you can do these things without freaking out. It's no accident the Bible says 365 times, fear not, one for every single day. 
In fact, it's not even an option. God commands us, do not be afraid. Your shepherd is leading you through the valley. He's going to get you to the other side. And uh, we cannot be debilitated by fear, anxiety, and worry. Now, I know that um, you know, this, can, this is going to like bring your life to a halt. So let me just give you a couple ideas here. First of all, and this is most important, get off of social media and get out your Bible. Okay? So I want to give you, I want to give you a challenge. The challenge is this. I'm going to give you 15 minutes, all right? Or you can take a half hour. Pull out a piece of paper. Take 15 minutes, half hour. I want you to get on Facebook, Twitter, uh, watch MSNBC or CNN or Fox, or whatever you're watching about the coronavirus. And after you've watched it, turn it off. And for the next few minutes, write down how you're feeling. But then after you've done that, I want you for 15 or 30 minutes, take out your Bible, pull up Psalm 91, read that, and then tell me how you're feeling after you've read that. You're going to notice a huge, huge difference. Because the Psalm 91 speaks to events such as this and how we ought to respond as we are staying riveted upon our shepherd. Number two, you're not a reporter and neither am I. The world does not need you to retweet, repost, and regurgitate every statistic and story that you read on social media, most of which is not even accurate. If you really want to find accurate information, go to the places where the actual information is there. Here's the third one. Keep living your life and moving forward, right? In seasons in which people are crippled by fear, it's more important than ever that believers in Jesus Christ, that we live from a posture of hope and not fear. The church has a huge, huge opportunity to reach out to the world who's been paralyzed by fear and to say, listen, there's something more than this. There's something greater than this. There is something beyond this because obviously, uh, you know, this virus is not good for the elder. It's not good for the, you know, those who have weak immune systems and those kinds of things. But I just realized I've learned, I've probably lived through seven world crises that all said that the world's going to come to an end. Ma- mankind, as we know, I had, you know, SARS, bird flu, E. coli, swine flu. When the Mayan calendar came to the end, oh, the world's going to stop, right? Uh, people were freaking out about that. Ebola virus, Zika virus, now Kona coronavirus. Um, My heart goes out right now to people who are living in fear. It's a horrible way to live. And again, fear does, you know, faith does not mean you're not smart about things. Yeah, wash your hands. Take every precaution you can. My heart goes out to parents right now who's, you know, now all of a sudden for three weeks they've got their kids. And many of them work, and they're, they're calling centers and, and crying and saying, can you please take my child because I'm going to lose my job if I have to take all this time off. And it, it's putting us in, in a real difficult situation. So stop worrying, live your life, wash your hands, and pray. Right? Pray for opportunities to share Christ and the grace of Jesus with others. So I want you to know this. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man to die once. And after this, the judgment. It is God who makes the appointment on your life. Death is no respecter of age. When that appointment comes due, you're not missing it. So whether you die by coronavirus or an accident or whatever else it might be, a heart attack, a stroke, when that appointed time comes, you're leaving planet Earth. So the key is knowing where you're going. 
after you leave, right? This is why I don't have to fear. When you lose your fear of death, you've been, you have begun your ability to live. Jesus came into the world to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus than coronavirus, one that strikes every single man, woman, and child, and everyone who is you know, inflicted with this disease, it results in death. It is called sin. The wages of sin is death. This is why we experience death. It's because we carry this, this virus within us. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of uh, you know, pandemic outbreak, and our hope in order to face that virus is in the shepherd who came into the world in order to be the antidote for that virus called sin, so that when I accept Jesus into my life to be my Savior and Lord, now all of a sudden, as Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though you die, you will never die. Why will I never die? Because this body might cease physically, but my soul and spirit move into eternity with God because I am now a citizen, a child of his kingdom. That's my hope. And this is what our shepherd does for us, right? He, he meets my emotional needs so that I'm not driven by my emotions. I'm driven by faith in my shepherd. He provides also for our physical needs. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. And uh, so this is speaking of the fact that shepherds would carry, have a belt with a pouch. They would carry food. They would find sheep that are in struggling and in trouble. You ever see a sheep laying down? Instead of grazing, probably they're sick. And so they would take it out, and they would lay out a table, so to speak, and hand feed the sheep to get them back to healthy and moving on. Notice what he says, that our shepherd, in meeting our needs, he does this in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of Satan has to watch as our shepherd meets our needs because we're not going to allow fear to drive us to allow him to steal, kill, and destroy us. My hope, my faith, my trust is in the shepherd who provides everything that I need. You anoint my head with oil. And so sheep often, uh, you know, again, they're filthy. They attract all kinds of parasites. And it's not uncommon for them to get sick from worms. For my friend Ray Carmen, who's the shepherd, he said one time he was looked over to one of his sheep. He said, sheep do not want you to know they're sick. They'll do everything in their power so that you won't know that they're sick. Like humans, right? Like men. Uh, so so he, looked, he just noticed something unique about right here in, on the sheep in the throat. And upon further inspection, that sheep's throat was filled with worms, uh, which would have led to the death of the sheep had he not treated it. And so then he began inspecting the other sheep who appeared to be healthy, but they also had the same condition. And here's the spiritual extraction he brought out of that. He says, you know, we have an enemy from the outside who's Satan. We also have an enemy from the inside. Things like bitterness and anger and jealousy and envy and all of those things, hatred that come from the inside that seek to wound us and to destroy us, an unforgiving spirit can destroy you quicker than anything because you are burying toxic emotions from which you cannot find healing from until you come to the only one who can bring that healing, and that is your good shepherd. My cup overflows. So in 
that day and time, if you went into a Palestinian home as a guest, you ever had somebody come in your home, they wouldn't go home? Like you said, you invite them over that evening, it's like, you know, it's 12 o'clock, they're still not going home. Well, in Palestine, uh, when you enter, enter into somebody's home as a guest, they would fill your cup with wine, and as long as they kept filling that cup, they were saying to you, stay a little longer, stay a little longer. When they stopped filling it, it meant go home. You're done, go home. So what Jesus is saying here as our shepherd is that he is, we are always, always, always welcome in his presence. He never tells us to go home. And the last one, he provides our eternal needs. He provides our eternal needs. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the day of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when you look at your future, what do you see? Doubt, cynicism, expecting the worst. You have two choices in life. You can either face the future as a cynic doubter, negative thoughts, expecting the worst, or you can face the future with your shepherd who, is, who has commissioned himself to meet all of your needs and you look at your future through a whole different lens that leads to a whole different mindset that leads to a whole different life. That's your shepherd. Let's bow our heads together.